0: Well, we're coming to the end of our journey in second corinthians i hope this has been a series that's helped you grow in your relationship with god help you understand the battles and the struggles that paul went through in planning churches paul was writing this letter to commend the corinthian church for taking care of some issues but also to give them a warning before he was to return again to not fall back into those old traps but to Remained solid to get rid of the sexual morality and all the things that were happening in that church. And he was being challenged. People were speaking out against him by these super apostles. That's what Paul did. Paul was very sarcastic. And he called them these super apostles. These men that would come in, they were great communicators, they were really polished. They were probably those people that walked into the room and demanded attention, but they were teaching things that were contrary to the nature of christ they didn't really know jesus and oftentimes they were doing it for their own gain and they would put paul down and they would speak poorly of him because paul started the church but he went on to start other churches and they would say well paul speaks really strong in these letters but in person he's Not really much to look at. He's not a great communicator. They would just put Paul down. They would undermine his authority. We talked about that a lot. And I just want to remind you that that Corinth was a very wealthy Greek city. um, And it was probably like a New York or an L.A really the the center of politics you know I mean I know you got Washington DC but you got the center of politics the center of philosophy and culture you have all those things that are happening there and people like to talk about that stuff i know we're in the middle of political season and then, and that's on the forefront of a lot of things and that was pretty popular to talk about then and so paul was planning to return and when he wanted to return He wanted the visit to be a good visit. He didn't want to have to deal with issues. He wanted to come and spend time with friends and family and enjoy his time in Corinth, not to deal harshly with issues that were unresolved in the church. Things like sexual immorality and division and slander and all those things that were tearing the church apart. He was hoping that the leaders of the church that he raised up and put in place would be able to eradicate that, that they would be living for God, so that when he returned, it would be good. So here's how Paul kind of wraps up this letter. I'm looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. It's going to reference some things from chapter 12, just a little bit in here, but really we're going to focus on 13, 1 through 10. So if you would, look at that with me. I'm going to read that whole passage right now, and then we'll jump in. This is the third time I'm coming to visit you. And as the scripture says, the facts, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have already warned those who have been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warned them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when He deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although He was crucified in weakness, He now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we'll be alive with Him and will have God's power. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you, or, in some translations, in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we won't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if it makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. For we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. I am writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For i want to use the authority that god that the lord has given me to strengthen you not to tear you down paul's heart paul didn't want to tear them down he loved them like a father loved his own children and sometimes we had to deal with our children's sin or the problems that they have we've all had to discipline our children the bible tells us that we should discipline our children. If we don't discipline them, then they never learn. They never grow. They don't know the difference between right and wrong and they'll push boundaries. And so Paul was saying, look, here is sin. This sin separates you from God. We want you to be living right for God. And if you refuse to, if you refuse the correction, we're gonna have to do something about it. So here's the problem. Number one is the problem, an unrepentant heart. That's the problem that Paul's trying to get out of the church. An unrepentant heart, what does that mean? That's somebody that sins deliberately, but doesn't do anything about it. They're like, oh, I just want to be a Christian, but I'm going to continue to live the way I was living before. I'm going to continue to be deliberate about the sin that's in my life. Basically, they're trying to have it their own way. Basically, they're trying to do their own thing without... Changing their lives. They want the benefits of Christianity without the life change that comes along with it. People were fighting, they were arguing, there was sexual immorality in the church. All of those things were happening, and it was causing the ministry that God had started in Corinth through Paul to slow down, and it was causing problems within the church. So these things, these issues, Paul knows the church can't thrive. Look at this again, and and, and this is what was happening. Chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, these are the things that Paul was warning against. He said, for I'm afraid, in verse 20, that when I come I won't like what I find, and you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. Paul was afraid or concerned because he had sent people there. He was getting reports. He knew that these things were still thriving in the church and they weren't being dealt with. Now, none of us are free of sin. That's not the issue, but we know that when we're serving God, our goal is to eradicate sin from our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and to draw closer to Him. They weren't doing anything about the sin. The problem was they were holding on to it. They just wanted Christianity to be be another part of their lives. They, They were just adding it into the bucket. They weren't getting rid of the things. They were separating them from God. They were just trying to add a relationship to God there. But we know that God's a jealous God. He, he won't tolerate us basically worshiping ourselves and our own sinful nature and Him as well. And so there was the problem and and so they needed to get rid of the sin in their lives. They, they needed to make these changes there are so many scriptures that talk about ha- what happens when we don't deal with sin. I'm going to share with you only a couple of them. Now again, I'm going to share these. This is what happens when we don't deal with sin in our lives. As believers, we are covered by the blood of Christ. Our sin is, is gone as far as the east is from the west. But I want you to hear something with Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26-29. through 29. I want you to get this really quick. Dear friends... If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Every time I read that passage, I cringe. Every time. I want you to underline a few things for me. First thing I want you to underline is in verse 26. It says, Dear friends, I want you to underline deliberately continue sinning. Deliberately continue sinning. Now I want you to jump down to verse 29. underline this, just think of how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which has made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Here's the key. It's not that we have totally eradicated sin out of our lives. That's not the issue God is concerned about the direction of our heart and when I ask you to underline deliberately that's for those that look are spitting in God's face and saying look that's fine yeah I want to serve you Jesus thank you for saving me thank you for dying for me but I'm not going to change what I'm doing I'm going to continue to live the way I was living and you're just going to have to like it you may not be that cavalier about it but yet when we refuse to repent of sin that we know is in our lives, when we deliberately continue doing it, Scripture tells us that we are bound for judgment. I don't know how God's going to judge all of us. I don't know where His boundaries are going to be and where, he's, where His mercy is going to cover and where His patience ends. But what I do know is that if we're pushing into God, if we're striving after Him, doing the very best we can to grow in Him and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we have nothing to fear there's nothing that can take our salvation away. But if we treat God as common or flippantly... I read a passage out of Francis Chan's book last week where it talked about how we put what Jesus did for us on the cross in the same category, sometimes even below getting married or having a child or somebody winning the World Series, or whatever that might be, we get more excited about those things than what Jesus did for us. And sometimes I think that grieves God, that we're not as excited about what He's done for us and in our lives as we are about the other things that are happening in our lives. We treat what Jesus did on the cross as flippant or commonplace. It makes me cringe. I don't want that for anybody. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for my children. I don't want it for anyone that's watching this, anybody in my church. I don't want it for my neighbors. We've been doing this study on Sunday nights called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And he's talking about loving hard to love people. I don't even want it for the people that rub me the wrong way. We had that discussion because Bob Goff was in Uganda and, and found out that witch doctors were hurting kids and doing child sacrifices because they believed they, they believed they gave him power and he stood up against the witch doctors and tried one of them, got him thrown into prison, and then he went back and God propelled him to or compelled him to go back to that prison and sit down with him. And that witch doctor came to know Christ. And it it flipped Bob out. He was like, man, I, I don't even want him to get it. Because he did such horrible things to this child. But yet God's grace is big. But we can't treat it flippantly or commonplace. And when we refuse... I want you to get this. When we refuse to repent from sin, that's what we're doing. I'm not talking about the sin that we do just out of our brokenness and our human nature and we mess up from time to time, that sin that's in our lives. I'm not talking about that. We need to repent of that sin and move away from it. But I'm talking about sin that we refuse to repent of. Maybe you're living together, not married. That is a sin. And I know people that refuse to change that situation. And I'm not going to go through a list of other things, but when the Holy Spirit convicts you of different things in your life, maybe you've been cheating the IRS. Maybe you've not been doing with your finances the things that you're supposed to. Maybe you've been watching and looking at things that you're not supposed to. Whatever those things may be, If you refuse, as the Holy Spirit checks your heart, if you refuse to change them, that's unrepentant sin. That's not a great thing. See, there's a problem when we abuse the grace. Romans talks about this. Paul talks about it in Romans. Romans is an amazing book about the journey through to being made right with God. But this is what he says in Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God's God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? People were arguing, well, God's grace is big, and and people can see by how much sin we have how big God's grace is. Just like that witch doctor that was sacrificing children coming to Christ, that's a lot of grace. That's more grace than a lot of us get. But should we sin more so God's grace will be bigger? Absolutely not. That's slapping Jesus in the face. Through Jesus, we have died to sin. It's lost its power. He sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could get rid of that sin in our lives. We didn't have to do it on our own. He gave us the Bible so that we could learn. He gave us each other so that we could learn, so that we could get these things out of our lives. A little further down in chapter 6, look at verses 12 through 14. It says, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to your sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That is the key. We are to return away from sin and live under, the, live under the grace and freedom of God. And I remember a few years ago, a, a couple came to the church that we were serving at. They got saved. A couple about a month later, they come to the pastor and say, "Hey, um, by the way, we've been living together. Will you marry us?" Those are the stories I love to hear because that that conviction and that repentance. They came from the Holy Spirit. Nobody had to tell them they needed to get married. Nobody had to tell them that their sin was there. They knew it from the Holy Spirit. They knew it from reading the Word of God. And they did something about it. But when we choose not to, we put on ourselves condemnation. We slap Jesus in the face. And woe to you. Woe to you if you refuse to repent. So the second thing today is this. So we had the problem, an unrepentant heart. The solution. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. I want to read it again. It says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. Now, Paul is talking about his authority. He's talking about them knowing that Christ is living in them. There's fruit. Paul talks a lot about fruit and the fruit of the Spirit growing in us. When we come to Christ, there's fruit, there's things. A few months ago, I I preached on this scripture out of Psalm 139. I'm just going to read 23 and 24 because I think it fits. It means we have to make time to make sure our hearts are right with God every day. Look at this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. That was in our dangerous prayers series. Preached on that passage right there. Daily, we have to ask God to search our hearts. Daily, God, is there something in me that offends you that comes between me and you? Help me to get that out of my life. See, when we're seeking after God, that's all God wants. God wants relationship with us. He wants us to seek after Him. He wants us to desire to be with Him. When we do that, He will help us get the sin out. He will help us come to a place where we eradicate that sin in our lives. But when we choose not to, like I said, man, woe, woe to you. We have to ask God to search our hearts. It should be a daily part of our prayer that we seek and ask God to search our hearts so that we can work on those things daily. Pray that. Think about it this way. How would you feel if you knew that the pilot or the airplane company didn't check the planes before they sent you out to get in this several ton torpedo that's supposed to get off the ground and fly. You would want them to check that plane out. For a while, I had to get a CDL for a a job that I had while we were in between churches in Florida, and I, I was working with kids that were it was a dropout prevention program. They gave our program our own school bus. My job was to take kids daily off campus with another teacher and show them job opportunities that would be afforded to them if they would just graduate high school. Not college, but just graduate high school. We even started our own business. But when I got this thing, we, I had to go get my CDL because they hired me to drive the bus and to be the assistant teacher. And one of the things when you get your CDL is every time you took that bus, I don't care if you drove it the day before, you had to go through and check everything on the bus to make sure it was safe for the kids. We put so much care into all these other things, all these checks that we do before we go into things, but yet we don't check our hearts daily. We have to examine ourselves. Some of us go to doctors for routine visits to make sure that, hey, there's not cancer growing in your body, or hey, there's not things happening in your body. You go often, even when you don't feel bad, you go to get a checkup so that things can be caught early so that they can be taken care of. Same thing in our spiritual life. Every day, search me, God. See if there's any wicked or offensive way in me and help me to get it out of my life. Why would we try and hide these things from God? Why would we try to hide stuff? God already knows it. Why would we try to pull back? It doesn't make sense. Sin in our lives, when we hold on to it, doesn't make sense. That's part of that selfishness. It's like we don't want to let go because if we let go, then we lose some of who we are when that's actually the opposite of what God's trying to do. He's wanting to get those things out so that we can see who we truly are with freedom. With grace to be fully alive without guilt or shame, but to live fully for Him. That's pretty amazing, right? We've got to take care of our spiritual walk. One of the ways that we do this is to have regular times in Scripture. I already said we pray, we ask God to search our hearts. Regular times in Scripture, we always can talk about this, but here's why we do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Some of you may have heard this verse before. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Scripture, what do you know? It tells us where we're missing it and helps us to fix it. It shows us what we need to do. It shows us how to follow God. It equips us to do everything we need to do. The Holy Spirit shows us in Scripture where correction needs to be. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit, so that we can know and understand, so that we can see things and know we don't get it all at one time. We can read the same passage of Scripture eight different times, and God can show us something a little bit different every time we read it. That's how we can take a couple verses like what we just read in Psalm 139 and speak on it for a month because there's so much there that we can learn and take and put into our lives. The Holy Spirit shows those things. When we find sin in our lives, we need to confess it for Him, before Him, and get it out of our lives. 1 John 1.9, we confess our sins to Him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Once we confess the sins, man, he just he wipes them out. Why do we hold on? What are we holding on to? I don't know about you. I want to hold on to my relationship with Jesus. I want to be in a right relationship with him without fear without guilt, without any of that, but just to know I'm right with Him. That's the goal. I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to live it in such a way that others want to live that way too. The awesome part about all this is that God's grace is sufficient and His Holy Spirit will help us where we struggle with sin. Remember we talked about God's grace works in us in our weakness our sin is our weakness. And God's grace will take us through that process. He will get us beyond it. That's the good news. We start out with what happens if we don't repent, if we don't give it to God. But the truth is that God's grace is big and that when we repent and say, God, man, I'm having lustful thoughts today and I don't want to stumble. God, I'm in a place where I have lied and cheated people. I want that out of my life. Help me to get past it. God, help me to make things right. And He will. Grace is sufficient. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to help us through those things. Now, that doesn't mean that the consequences of our sinful actions go away. You've been cheating on your spouse. That could end badly. At very least, it's going to be a rough time. For a while but God can redeem those things you've been cheating on your taxes that can end badly but God's grace is big and he can even help us through those times but there's always consequences to sin we get the forgiveness of God and we have ourselves right for eternity but it doesn't wipe out everything in this life it just helps us to get us on the right track So We have the Holy Spirit to help us through all this, to navigate it. We have the church. We have our brothers and sisters. Those of you that are watching online, make sure you connect with us so that we can help you where you struggle, so that we can pray with you. Make sure you click on that prayer time if you need it. If this is hitting you hard when you read like Hebrews and it says, Whoa, wait a minute, I've been slapping God in the face. Click on the prayer button. Let us pray with you. We want you to have the freedom and the grace of God in your lives. We speak this in truth. We're not here just to tell you that, hey, if you write a check and put it in the offering and you help old ladies across the road, and if you don't steal too much music offline, that you're going to be just perfectly fine. God's going to love you and you should just be happy and smiley and everything's great. That's not why we're here. We're here to help you to understand what a relationship with God is. And that starts with... Repenting of our sin and turning away from it and turning towards God and allowing Him the freedom to live in your heart, allowing Him to have control of your life. Not that you give up your personality. He's still going to work through you in those things, but that sinful nature is going to go away. So let me wrap up with one final thought. So we had the problem, unrepentant heart. The solution to examine our hearts and to fill it with the Word of God and to repent and to get that stuff out. Clean house. Need to do it in my garage and basement. Need to get all that stuff out. It's kind of the same thing in our hearts. And the last thing is the results. What happens if we do this? Maturity. We grow. Man, I get no greater pleasure than watching my kids as they've matured. and they're 20, 18, now 16. I'm watching them mature into young men and women of God. My daughter's been on her own for the last two and a half years, and she man, she's killing it. Paying bills, working, straight A's in school. Man, I'm watching her mature. I look at my children, and, and Pastor Jennifer and I can talk about this. We, we look back a few years ago, and you just hope that we don't mess them up so bad that they just get out of high school and can actually function. And it's so awesome when we see them living their lives and doing things. And man, if it wasn't for Robbie and Heather being here, Robbie has just come in and took the production side of all this stuff, and I'm bragging on my kids. watching Mike at now 16. I'm watching him grow. They're maturing. We were never intended to live in the nest for the rest of our lives. If we were birds, man, it's time to get pushed out and fly. That's what we want to see. We want you to grow so that you can multiply, so that you can... Disciple others so that you can be an impactful person for the kingdom of God. That you actually grow in your relationship with God. And people look to you We're like, oh, I don't want people looking to me. Well, grow up. That's the natural order of things. God wants you to grow. So we dig into the word of God and we grow. And you know what? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be fully mature to impact other people's lives you can go through the journey together say grab somebody's hand said let's do this let's do this together let's grow together let's be accountable to each other that's how we grow the results of all this is maturity paul didn't want the corinthians to remain the same he didn't want them to remain in their sin he wanted them to grow and mature to become more christ-like Ephesians, Paul talks about this in Ephesians too. In uh, verses or chapter four, verses fourteen through sixteen, he says, "Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching." See, this is what was happening in the Corinthians. They weren't growing, and when somebody came in that just had shiny teeth and was speaking well, they started to follow and believe him. They didn't have the foundation they needed. So we have to, we can't no longer be immature children. We got to grow. We will not be influenced when people try, try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does in its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We're maturing, and when we mature, we take our gifts and our talents and what God's given us, and we use them, and it fits together. I couldn't do it without the people sitting in this room tonight to make this happen. They're using the gifts that they have and fitting them together so that we can grow as a church. That's being the body of Christ. That's maturing. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together, but we're maturing. We're growing. We're not staying the same. And unless we grow and mature, we're going to get blown around. We're going to fall, we're going to fall back. James talks about this when he says it's like if we don't go, if we look in the mirror and we see something's wrong, if we don't do something about it, man, that's like slapping God in the face. It says we're, we're just, it's terrible. We're to mature and to grow as believers. And sometimes it's slow steps. Sometimes it's big leaps. And if you if you've raised kids, and they crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl, and it seems like they're never gonna stop crawling, that they're never gonna walk, and then all of a sudden they stand up and go. Some kids it takes two years, other kids it's like nine months. We don't know why. We all mature at a different pace, but the problem the the big thing is, is that we're always moving forward. We're always growing in our relationship with God. We're waking up every day and saying, God, search my heart. Help me to grow into you today. We're reading scripture and saying, God, how do I need to apply this to my life today? God, I don't understand this. Who can I call to help? Where can I go for help with this? That's maturing. I wanna challenge you to mature in your faith I don't know where you're at in this process I don't know what's going on in your life are you back are you at the problem or do you have an unrepentant heart now's the time to do something about it it's time to examine your heart so as we close the service today as pastor Jennifer's playing Take a minute and examine your heart. Are you deliberately sinning against God? Are there things in your life that need to come out? Now's the time to take care of it. If you need somebody to pray with you, click that button. Allow us to pray with you. Don't live chained up to your sin anymore. Allow the power of God to break those chains, so that you can be free. So you can be free of guilt and pain. And then, maybe you've already been there. Maybe God's grace has already been a big part of your life. Maybe you just need a little help to grow some more. Dig a little bit deeper in your relationship with God. Allow the Holy Spirit to flow a little deeper in you, so that you can be the young man, or woman that God's called you to be, so that if maybe, maybe you're older, maybe you have been a Christian for a while, maybe God's calling you to mentor some others. Whatever that may be, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life today. Let's spend a few minutes with Him. Pray over you today. Father, I ask right now that you would take our hearts, that you would mold them and change them. Lord, if there is sin in our lives, we ask right now that you would eradicate it, that you would forgive us. Lord, we want to draw closer to You. We don't want to slap You in the face and take Your grace for granted. We want to love You and hold on to You. And Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that You would change lives today, that if there is sin in the way, that it would be taken out, that it would be covered under Your blood. And that, Father, that we would be free through You, through what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, I pray right now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be new creations, that we would be new people growing closer to you, maturing in you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Again, if you need somebody to pray with you, please, please connect with our team. We love you. We're in this with you. We hope to see you soon. Have a great week.